welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Coming to you once again, and, and it, we almost managed to pull this off. We didn't have plans to, on Sunday. We almost managed to pull off not only recording a show between qualifying and the race, but actually posting a show qualifying between qualifying and the race. But it's not going to happen. This will go up afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was uh, a concern. Well, you know, it sometimes the show makes a little better sense if you get if at least it gets up before the okay. race. You have a flawed logic system there. That anything on our show makes sense? Exactly. Okay. Start there. Okay. Anyway, in honor of this weekend, I wish to say hola. Okay, that's all my Spanish. Oh, okay. That's it. <laughs> Well, we're not at that point yet. We've got all the because remember we didn't have, and I'm sure most of you do remember, and we're happy about the fact that we didn't have a show last week, except because of poor planning. It was we missed a show on a race weekend towards the end of the season when a lot of the stuff happens, which means we've got a lot of stories. <laughs> I take umbrage with the poor planning part. Did you look at the Formula One calendar when you scheduled this? It was not there when I scheduled this. My point exactly. <laughs> Just so you're aware, I've scheduled again in May, so there's a risk. There is. Anyway, moving right along. So because of just how much happened this week and how many directions things seem to jump this these last two weeks, we're going to jump around a little bit. All right, so belt yourself in. This is going to be a disjointed show. It's going to be kind of like driving the bumper cars at the state fair. You're going to go round and round in circles and get knocked out of the path a few times. When have you ever driven bumper cars at a state fair? Um, never. Oh, just checking. <laughs> I, I was just wondering where this voice of experience came from. Um, you, you should know I've never been to a state fair. <laughs> but I've been told that I really ought to go to one. There's fried food there. Yeah, there is. and Like all kinds of fried food. Different fairs feature different types of fried food of various levels of strangeness. I think we should try fried food. Before we even get to that, let's talk about <laughs> the stuff we have this week. Okay. Let's, let, let's start with kind of IndyCar, kind of Formula One. Oh, circuit colliding. Circuit of the Americas. Yes. The United States own and only currently operating purpose-built Formula One track. Correct. But not there's the been only one that's A1 certified. Grade one certified. Grade one certified. Whatever. Um, Circuit of the Americas, Bobby Epstein, the, the owner and operator of the track, has announced that he thinks, and, and from a business perspective, this makes a lot of sense, but he thinks that IndyCar should run a race at Circuit of the Americas. I mean, road races, always a lot of fun to watch, mm -hmm. and it, it is certainly a road course. Um, and, you know, how many ovals do you need to run? Really? Let, let, let's. So he thinks that, and, and not only that, you know, because he really wants to breach out, branch out rather, and again, from a business sense, if you own this big, massive racetrack, the more weekends that you can have these... Races. These marquee... Uh, series come in as opposed to auto clubs, not to knock the auto clubs, the more money you can bring in. So this makes great sense, and he wants NASCAR there as well, too. If, 
NASCAR races apparently are really good on a road course. At least that's what some people tell me. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> So he wants both. However, the problem is, um, out by, I believe it's Dallas, is the Texas Motor Speedway, who says, um, yeah, that's great that he wants to do that, but we've got regional clauses in our contracts that says he can't do that. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. That That's going to be a problem. But if you think about just Texas and everything that goes on in Texas and the fact that Texas hosts this Formula One race on a weekend where University of Texas hosts or, or is it? Yeah, it's. Who's I thought in they Austin? moved it. I thought they moved it so that it wasn't the same football weekend. No, it is still a University foot- of Texas versus. There is still a major college game in Austin the weekend of the Grand Prix, and they still manage to pull in over 100,000 fans a day at Circuit of the Americas. I think that that says a lot, knowing that Texas is a football state. Well— And a college football state and a high school football state. And the fact that an international event like Formula One that has next to no presence in the United States other than this one race still manages to to rake in over 100,000 fans a day, I think that's kind of impressive. Well, I think it's impressive. Um, I'm just a little surprised that they're still doing it on that weekend. I thought they had gone out of their way to move the race so that it was not on the same weekend. I think there was a push, but I don't know if they managed to, to make it stick. And I think a lot of that may also have to do with this desire for Mexico to be a back-to-back. Mm. And, and I think that's some of it. Okay. Hey, while we're talking about IndyCar, this year, Joseph Newgarden won the Drivers' Championship over in IndyCar, and he has actually said that, you know, he'd like to, to try his hand at Formula One. He thinks that now is a good time to jump over. Well, where would there be a seat for him? Well, here, here's your thought, okay? Joseph Newgarden, unlike a lot of IndyCar drivers, he's an American, and he's won the series. He's got a history. He's Because he won the IndyCar series and he's driven for, for a few years in IndyCar, he's super license eligible, mm-hmm. so he could drive in Formula One, and we have an American team. True, with a very disgruntled Frenchman at the head of it right now. However, Gunther Steiner has stood up over at Haas and said, yeah, we don't think that Newgarden can just hop right into a Formula One car and go. And we didn't think that they could just buy everything off the shelf at Ferrari and go. (laughs) Meanwhile, Brandon Hartley's looking around going, really? He can't do that? You sure? (laughs) Worked pretty well for me. Poor Brendan. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's worth at least give him a test. Mm-hmm. Drop him in on a free practice one. I, I mean, they especially if you think about what just happened this past weekend, and, and it's not in our lineup, but um, Kevin Magnuson almost missed the weekend because he picked up a stomach bug uh, towards the end the of the week. He didn't he? Well, that was kind of what I was wondering. He, but it was whatever the illness was was bad enough that he got excused by the stewards to miss 
um, the driver's meeting, which normally they don't do. But he was excused by the stewards to miss the driver's meeting to go to the doctors. He's since been cleared to race. But, hey, for a brief window there, Haas had a seat open. Yeah. And I don't think Joseph is doing anything this weekend because Indy has already wrapped up. Well, you know, we don't know. I mean, it would be it would be interesting, but just think about all of the New Garden fans that could get introduced to F one if yeah. he was to make that jump. I mean, Liberty would be in a really good spot to kind of help facilitate that type of back and forth between Indy and F one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they gave Alonzo to F one uh, to IndyCar this year. You know, you might want to consider a little, you know, a little backwards action. Yeah, but the the one thing to keep as much as yes, that that would would serve them well. But where the tension comes in, and and, and this might actually feed it, is the fact, and, and some of this I think is is a Bernie attitude that he fed into the sport of F one being the very tippy top. It's the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle. IndyCar doesn't particularly like that. They don't want to be seen as second fiddle. To Formula One, which is one of the reasons why IndyCar is not known as a path into Formula One, but tends to be a path out of Formula One. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. It could be very interesting. Yeah. Some of, speaking of Bernie and changes that we, I mean, this year has been how much of we can how how much can we de bernie the sport yes formula 1 group did something that would have been utterly unheard of under bernie eccleston they reached out about 2 weeks ago on reddit popular user curated content site where they do a lot of ask the, i mean presidents have have done ask me anything's on there i mean all kinds of notable folks have come up and and interacted with fans in new ways over on reddit well they worked with the folks over at um at reddit to validate an account belonging to uh f1 uh, f1 research and the account is f1 underscore research um and made a post that says formula one would like to know what you the fans want to see from f1 digital content on its website social apps or anywhere else F1 Raiders' opinions are essential to us, and your feedback will be key in helping us shape the future coverage of the, for- of the sport. What stories are you interested in? Formats are best. Where do you want to see them? How do you want to follow F1 in the future? They put together a survey to, that they wanted folks to take part in, but they really wanted to hear from the fans on the thread. What digital content do you want from F1? What can we create that will make your experience of F1 better? No matter how big or how small, we'd love to hear from you. Bernie would have never done anything like that. He never would have sanctioned anything like it. And even if something like that happened, he would have dismissed it. I wonder what they said. What were the answers? That's what I care about. Because if they started talking about that they want more passing and they want refueling again, I would shut them down. Well, some of the answers that, that came out. Build a, a website or, more precise, a platform. Work with somebody like YouTube or Netflix or Twitch or somebody like that to get everything out there from a streaming perspective. Um, the next suggestion, 
or then these are some of the top suggestions. These aren't all the suggestions. Give everyone access to all the cameras, TV, on board, and closed circuit. Let the fans choose what they watch. Even show two or four at the same time. Let the fans freely and quickly switch around or take a look back at something, then switch back to the world stream. Let fans use timing data overlays as they want. If the fan wants to watch the battle for sixth overlay, let them do that. Let them choose to show the time differential between Vettel and Hamilton and how it evolved over the past few laps. Add more than is currently available on TV. Give fans access to all the data. Of course, have the world stream on there for people who just want to watch without any hassle. Next suggestion. Let fans watch all of that live and as yeah, let let let's fan watch all of that live and as video on demand if possible. Add past races to the library. Add tiers from for pricing. From free, live only, world stream only, no choice in cameras, heavily ad supported, even ad breaks during the race. Cheap, live and video on demand, world stream and maybe onboard some ads, but only as overlays during the race. All the way up to expensive. Whatever you want with no ads. Yeah, it may be difficult for the entire world and with existing contracts, but this may be a solvable solution. And then the last one, allow the creation of small clips for free like Twitch does. You can take a short part of a stream and link it directly on Twitch. There's great promotional value and pushes all the traffic to your platform where some might stick around. Nice. Yeah. Um, but the big push was... Give us control. Yeah, give us your streams. Um, another fan suggested that what if this was bundled with a bigger FIA motorsports package? You're buying a motorsports stream that gives you the ability to, to watch not just Formula One, but WEC, F2, F3, all of these other FIA-sanctioned events. You're paying the FIA, who's then giving those funds out, to the sports that are, are part of this package. Interesting. Um, another fan asked that they cut back on the DMCA takedowns. Allow the fans to share the videos. Allow them to credit them back to Formula One. Allow the fans to build that grassroots support of your sport and stop running to DMCA to pull down your videos. So, in response to all of this, we have gotten word that Formula One is, in fact, going to give us a streaming service starting next year. <laughs> now, we don't have the full details, uh, but one of the things that we do know is that this service, in particular, was one of the reasons why NBC Sports walked away. Interesting. And And... and we heard the comment when, when we had mentioned the, the press release uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we didn't quite pick up on it. NBC Sports wanted an exclusive deal to cover the races and carry the races in the United States. And they did not want Formula One Group and the FIA running a competing service in the country. Oh. And that's why they walked away, where... ESPN was open to it. But somebody else also noticed what we did. 
125 hours of F1 race content, as we heard from ESPN, doesn't cover your pre-race and post-race. The estimate is that NBC Sports, as poor as their coverage was and as limited in scope as their coverage was, was putting out somewhere between 300 hours of Formula One-related coverage a year. Wow. So the thought is that, or at least the hope is, that whatever stream is coming will be able to pick up the slack at a minimum. We don't know for sure yet, but we know that something is coming. They've, uh, the Formula One group has said that they are working on specific localization uh, or, or localized offerings to the streaming packages so because, you know, the broadcast deals do limit them to some extent as to what they can offer and how they can offer. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the other expectation is that, yes, the U.S. will get it as one of the early uh, – Adopters? Adopters will get streaming. The UK is expected to be one of the last to get it because of the broadcast contracts. I was going to say, their contracts are a lot different. And so, you know, for once, we might get something before the UK does. Yeah. But what we do know for sure is they've come out and they have said they're going to put unique feeds into territories next year that reflects the metrics that are adopted by the specific territories. Interesting. Now, there's a lot of folks who are hoping for, like, an American broadcast team as opposed to um, a European team. No, I don't care. I want a team that has good chemistry and that knows the sport and is interesting to watch. I want relevance. They don't have to be American. I want relevance. Yeah. Which is my issue with the current... Uh, NBC Sports Group. Not that Steve Matchett isn't relevant, but even I would argue that Steve Matchett is more relevant than David Hobbs, and I, I think Steve Matchett does have a very valid and viable reason for being a part of a broadcast team anywhere because of the fact that if if you listen to him talk and and, and the way he goes and and presents info, it's very clear that he still maintains contacts within the teams and is still getting information within the teams. And there's no evidence I've I've seen it. David Hobbs has similar contacts. Well, what I was going to say was that I'm not saying that it's Steve Matchett that I don't find relevant. It's definitely David Hobbs I don't Mm -hmm. find relevant. But... It's because of distance from the sport. But even though Steve Matchett is maintaining some connections with the teams, and yes, Steve Matchett is got a lot more depth of information than his counterparts, he needs to be paired with somebody that's a lot more current. His information would be more valuable if he was talking with a driver that had driven in the last 10 to 15 years not a driver from the 60s. Yeah, to some extent. I mean, you, you look at the, the again, let, let, let's use our example of your, your Channel 4 broadcast team, or even to a lesser extent, the Sky team. Damon Hill hasn't driven a car in over 10 years. Um, Martin Brundle, just as long, if not longer. Um, 
Yeah, they had as a technical analyst for a stretch. I don't think he still is. They had Paul DeResta, but it's been a while since he's been in a car. But it's more relevant than, than David Hobbs. Four years. Um, over on the Channel 4 side, Cothard's been out five, six years easily, if not longer. Mark Weber is starting to, to make more of an appearance, but he's fairly limited. Karun Chandok hasn't been in a Formula One car in a very long time, and he was never in a top-end Formula One car. Um, but I'll tell you, the, the analysis you get out of Karun Chandok is top-notch. Oh, it's incredible. And the analysis that you would get from Paul Resta too. Alan McNish also but hasn't been in a Formula One car in over 10 years. He, he's got a lot of race experience and had a lot of race experience, but it's been a long time since he's been in a Formula One car. But his technical analysis when he's put, put trackside is terrific. And I think that's the other piece is it's not just that you need somebody who's relevant. You need somebody who can be able to go, you know, in response to the, hey, we just saw a video that there was a big puff of smoke that came out of the car who can then march down to the pit wall or to the garage and go, what just happened? Mm -hmm. And that's something that NBC doesn't have very well. well yes, Will have, Buxton is there, but... They don't have people on the ground, and I think that that hampers their abilities to do anything because mm -hmm. yes will is there but will is he's one person he's one person and he's not exclusive to nbc sports yeah um i mean he's working for formula one he's doing other things too um but will is there but that's one person and you've got to have somebody that's got clout that's been on those on the grid every mm -hmm. week every race coming you know shoving microphones in somebody's face and saying, hey, or, you know, in the case of, like, D.C., who, you know, drinks with some of the drivers. Flies to the races with the drivers. And flies to the races with the drivers. He, he's, he's intimately aware of what's going on. And when he stops somebody, it's almost less about him being a, quote, reporter or presenter and more about, hey, bud, how you feeling today? Well, I and I think that's one of the things and. and Again, we don't watch the Sky Sports coverage as much because it's a little harder to get. But the Channel 4 guys, the number of times, especially when you've got Weber and Cothard together, that will just walk up to and into the Red Bull garage mm -hmm. because both of them still have very deep ties with the teams, and the teams don't think twice about it. Mm -hmm. Where and, and you see it to a lesser extent with the other teams, whether you're watching the Sky or, or, or you're watching Channel 4 or even NBC, is that when they go wandering through the garages of the other teams, they all make a very big point of saying, we had to get special permission to do this. <laughs> you know, They knew we were coming. This is a really big deal that we're in here. You never hear that when either Cothard or Weber go wandering into the, into the Red Bull garage because yeah. they've got the contacts there. Yeah, and they've also built relationships. I mean, mm -hmm. here's the thing that you never see on NBC Sports. You never see Toto Wolf being interviewed by an NBC Sports person. I, I don't know. And, and the only reason why I'm going to caution that is because, again, we don't watch them with any regularity. And it would not surprise me if, if every once in a while Will manages to track down. And, and actually, he probably does on the grid. 
he probably does manage every once in a while to track down a Nicky Lauda or a Toto Wolf or somebody like that. Although I did happen to catch in a social social media feed scrolling through, I guess at some point in Austin, NBC managed to get live uh, a live conversation with one of the, and it may have been Christian Horner, I don't recall, during the race. And there was feedback flying to Will Buxton's Twitter account of, I can't believe that you did this. He's got better things to do during the race and should be needs to be focusing on what's going on and how could you guys distract him and all of this stuff. And I'm like, wow, the English have been doing this for a while. And he's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pat Simmons used to talk to him live. And I'm like, really? You guys are that starved that you don't know that this is, isn't this unusual? Is, this is a normal thing? <laughs> Like at some point, the the technical direct the team principal can step away from the pit wall and go, "Hey, how you doing?" Well, well they're not even stepping away; they're talking to him from the pit wall, yeah. just on a different audio channel. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But I'm thinking much more of that after race commentary where you see Toto almost race every race talk to the channel for people about what happened that race what did he feel what was going on i mean it does well, help that susie is. i was gonna say there's two things there one one is is you know the family ties there but the other i think is the fact that again you've got more than one person there covering the track and covering what's happening and especially come post-race now Channel 4 and Sky's got six people running around there with microphones and cameras who can go, oh, hey, Toto, come here. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, there's Nikki. Let's go grab him. Where Buxton's trapped that, you know, he really needs to get and wants to get the driver stuff, which means he's, he's stuck going to the press pen. Right. And there's nobody else around to help him out. Where, you know, you got Lee McKenzie and you got these other folks yeah, who can go, can go camp go out at the pen. pen and... You know, Clarkson so can go. Tom Clarkson can go roaming around the, the the pit lane, and another group can be hanging out outside of teams' garages, and they can just grab people. And, and we know, based on what we've seen, Nikki Lauda will talk to anybody. Well, yeah. If you've got a microphone, if I ever get pit passes to a Formula One race, I'm just going to carry a microphone with me and put the end of it in my back pocket and just go see if I can talk to Nikki Lauda. <laughs> this, this is my whole game plan. Hey, Nikki, can I talk to you for a minute? We, we, can, we can get mic flags, I believe, for fairly cheap with our logo on them. See? We'll get mic flags, and um, we don't even have to have our mics connected to anything. They'll just be stuck in our back pockets. No, we, we do because you want the bumper. And well, hopefully we can record it correctly, unlike when, yeah. We'll get it for next year. Anyway, other changes and improvements that Formula One Group is working on. They have heard the feedback, and they recognize that nobody seems to really like the Halo. So they're working on an idea to make it better. They're going to change the name. Oh, because that's the problem with it. <laughs> they're going to change the name. Because something that is that ugly just needs a better name, and it will become beautiful. Yeah. A according to a senior F1 source, we don't know who. Charlie Whiting. Speaking to Autosport, he says, We're supposed to be a gladiatorial sport, and then we give the device an angelic name. We have various options for a new name, but it could be something like Safety Cage. <laughs> 
It is not possible to communicate in podcast radio. My eyes rolling quite as hard as they are. I, I just love the it's a gladiatorial sport and we gave it an, an angelic name. <laughs> that was the best that they could do. That was not Charlie Whiting. That was Ross Braun. <laughs> it, it may have been one of the three. That has a tone of Ross in my head. I hear his voice. More substantial changes. And actually, this, I I, I think it's because they were listening to us. Us, as in the bloke and the bird. Yes. Um, Sean Bratches has said that they are in the process of working with various different event uh, promoters um, in a marketplace to create live and non-live over-the-top product in, to have more F1 live-style events like they had in London this year. Now, that's not going to just be in London. Where I'm a little concerned about what they mentioned is that um, they want to have these fan festivals in cities in proximity to Grand Prix next year. Okay. And... Not to knock Texas in this, but there's more to the United States than just Texas. And this also goes for the British broadcasters who tagged every stupid American stereotype in their broadcast. Not to knock Texas, but if you want to get more fan engagement in the United States, you need to consider having an event not in Texas. Yes, Dallas would probably be a great host and Houston would be a great host. But maybe you try and get it in Detroit or Chicago or St. Louis or L.A. I don't know if San Francisco would let you in, but maybe San Diego. But don't just confine your fan engagement activities to the state where the race is hosted and you've got, you've got fans elsewhere. So would that be similar to like when they do the Barcelona race that they would might do the fan event in Madrid? That would be kind of my thought. Now, I mean that is pending the outcome of Yeah, the we'll we'll see where the Catalonian. that po- political bit will go. Um one of the other things that they changed is and again, this was an area that that some folks uh expressed some disgust on on Twitter about but Formula One group and Formula One management tested a new microphone during the weekend to better capture the sound of the cars. Oh. Now, the negative feedback was all, well, how stupid is it that Formula One needs to, to have a microphone to test better or, or to get better sound out of the cars? You shouldn't need a microphone to capture all this stuff. To which Will Buxton very brightly and smartly said um if you don't have microphones on the cars you won't hear them at all it's the only way you pick up the sound period the end no matter how loud the engines are microphone is needed to capture the audio it's how it works (laughs) again like the eye roll uh, the shaking of the head is not something that you can hear but that's (laughs) what is going on um yeah, that was a um, dumb feedback. I'm excited that they are because the quality of the microphone 
really does enhance the quality of the sound. So it's not that the sound yeah. itself will change, but the quality of the microphone can transfer that sound better. There's a reason we don't record this show off of the microphones that are baked into our laptops and our cell phones. Correct. Um, Bottom I, line. I listened to um, an episode of um, The Way I Heard It by Mike Rowe. Mm -hmm. It's a podcast, seven minutes long. Really enjoy it. He does it in a professional recording studio. Yes, but one time he couldn't get into the professional recording studio because there was something going on in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And he recorded it from his closet with his like trusty old microphone. Yep. And he did this whole bit about how he recorded. So he did the bumper in the studio and the mm -hmm. story was in the closet. He did the whole bit about different microphones that he had. And in the podcast, you could actually hear the difference. And this oh, sure. is one man's voice that you're very familiar with. And all of the other things. And this guy's a professional <clears throat> actor. So you know that even his home brewed uh, microphone is not my cell phone's mic. Mm -hmm. I'm done with that now. Oh, okay. I, I'm just saying that people <laughs> that said you don't need to mic cars to hear the sound are stupid. They are. Um, Sean Bratch has also said that they're looking to overall improve the production value of the broadcast that, and the world feed that's put out there. What they're specifically looking to do, and it's it's something that, um, regardless of where you get Formula One from, a lot of the commentators mention of when you watch Formula One on TV, you don't necessarily get a clear understanding of the speeds that the cars are moving, the sounds, and some of the wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing, let alone, you know, the differences in grade changes and stuff like that, it doesn't necessarily come through. And they're looking at ways to better convey that to the viewer. Well, that is very cool. I do have a word of caution for Mr. Eyebrows. Okay. Be very careful talking about adding to the production value, the the spectacle, that piece of it, because it doesn't take much for it to start to sound like it's scripted. And what I don't want Formula One to become is wrestling. Yeah, and, and that, that we should touch on the opening, the driver introductions in Austin, which... Um, everyone has freely admitted has divided the fans mm -hmm. and let alone the broadcasters. From what I have seen, the European folks pretty universally hated it. And I got to say, I didn't particularly like it either. So we're Team Europe. Lewis Hamilton, and, and this is one of the things that a couple of people have, have mentioned is, in fact, Lewis Hamilton has said he really liked it. He really enjoyed all the hype and the buildup and stuff like that, that that really got him excited. This is the same Lewis Hamilton who did not go to the Formula One live event in London before Silverstone because he said he wanted to get away from the hype. Mm -hmm. So figure that one out. A, a couple of other drivers have said that, that they didn't particularly like it. But there are also some fans who are going, yeah, this is America. This is distinctly American. We shouldn't do this. And then others are like, this isn't the Indy 500. The Indy 500 has had him there for many years. They've got it down. They've got it set. It, The whole event, it's one of the things that it's built around is that driver introductions. 
we don't build a Formula event or a Formula One event around that. No. And I, I, I didn't like the 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 format. I didn't like the flow. It didn't feel right to me. I get wanting to do something for driver introductions. I don't think that was it. No, it didn't feel uh-huh. right. I don't. I didn't like it. Um, I definitely had a serious problem with the fact that I think that there was a mistake in his copy because he did say driver start your engines and that is a truly specific IndyCar thing. By the way, do you know who wrote his copy? No, I don't. Will Buxton. Oh. Will Buxton provided his script. Well, you shouldn't have put that line in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's IndyCar start. They do not do that in Formula One. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. Toto Wolf did come out and say that um, as much as he was not a fan and did not necessarily enjoy these intros, he does not want to discourage Formula One group from trying new things and from trying to break the mold and, and try and make these things more exciting and more interesting. Um, he also said that... While this may be fine for America, it's not something that should be exported to other races because that is not how they view the sport. That's not how it works. And this is going to fall flat in some other countries, even if it does work in the United States. And they just do it in America. That's fine. But they shouldn't do it anywhere else. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that everybody has to be very sensitive to and very cognizant of is F1 is a global sport. And one of the things that comes with that is every F1 race is in a different country. Mm-hmm. And you need to honor what is unique about their country. And if this, and I personally thought it was kind of stupid, if if this is something that you want to make as uniquely American, that does not mean that it's normal for somebody to do this type of thing in Brazil. Let's uh, do something different for Brazil. Honestly... I would have been happier if all the drivers just walked in, rode in on horseback or in the back of a pickup truck. Okay, that would have been cool. That would have been better to me than doing this. You know, bring them in in convertible antique Cadillacs or something like that. You know, celebrating the American automotive industry or something like that that's still iconically American. All Fords. That actually, that would be a really cool finger and thumbs up in Formula One, or a finger in Formula One's eye. They all came in in convertible Mustangs. Yes. All Fords. Yeah. That would, that would be kind of cool. Remember, we used to be here too, jerks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it would be something that would still call back to the U.S., have a tie-in with Formula, especially if it was Fords or... Hell, even if they came in in NASCAR cars, <laughs> that would have would have been cool. Mm-hmm. I, this w- was a little too contrived for me. And that's my problem, is that it's contrived. And yeah. I want to maintain that Formula One is a sport. It is an actual sport. It is not to sport the way wrestling is to sport well also remember the other thing that 
Chase Carey and the Formula One group said that they wanted to do as part of Formula One is they wanted to make each race a spectacle a at, the, uh, at the level of a Super Bowl. So, yeah, this kind of – I think just there's better ways. Well, there's better ways. But I would warn that if we are going to a Super Bowl level of entertainment 21 times a year, it's I am not going to be... have to beef up my race-related snacks. You know, you say that, but it was one of the things that we, when we were first started watching the European coverage and seeing the difference between what the BBC used to do and what um, Speed used to do in later Formula One. No, NBC is, Sports. Or, or it, no, yeah, Speed and then and, and NBC Sports was, in many ways, the buildup that, the BBC and Sky does with their hour to hour and a half pre-race and in their hour to hour and a half post-race felt like a Super Bowl weekend mm-hmm. because all weekend you're dominated by Super Bowl-related coverage. And you've got all these folks crawling all over the track and doing all of this stuff. It did feel kind of like that. Well, I think we commented on that the first time we ever got to see European coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, I was making a point that we will need to have a better supply of race-themed snacks. No, I'm... I'm that is my I'm, point. I'm, I'm agreeing with that. And, and no, I don't have the other clips to pull up. No, it's okay. You, know, you were giving me the chance there. <laughs> I was trying. I was teeing it up for you. Another change that is being discussed, and this I don't think is going to happen. So November 7th, this coming, or next week, actually, the League of Super Evil is meeting mm-hmm. uh, to discuss engines and some other potential changes along the way. Um, one of the things that has been put forward as it, it changes to the engine is four-wheel drive cars. Four-wheel drive cars? Yes, what the thought is, um, and Mercedes seems to be pushing for this, several of the teams, including Red Bull, are pushing to simplify the engines, um, to, to pull out the hybrid, but stay with a turbo V6. Um, however, and, and one of the other thoughts is, well, what if they went with the standard MG, uh, kinetic reco- energy recovery unit? to help bring down the cost. And they've done this before. They've standardized some parts. But the other thing that Mercedes and a couple have mentioned is, well, what if they took the MGUH, the heat recovery piece, not just put it on the rear wheels like it is now, but also on the front wheel. So you've got small electric motors on the front as well. The problem is this adds to complexity. Mm-hmm. And it adds to cost. Now, it is something that has been done before and has shown to be very effective. That's what Porsche used in their WEC cars. Interesting. Um, so we don't know how it's going to go, uh, but we'll see. Interesting. What's your thought about Friday practices? You like them? You think they should go? Think they should stay? Did they add to the experience of the weekend? Well, okay. So my thoughts on Friday practices are very simple. Mm-hmm. Because I work, I never get to enjoy them. Okay. However, I feel that they are fairly critical 
to the drivers having a good Saturday and a good Sunday. They need the time on the track. And since we don't have in-season testing, it's also an opportunity for the teams to test out parts and things like that, that I don't want to see catastrophic events happening on my Saturday because we've tried something new that is untested. Yeah. Well, and, and Ross Braun says that they, they haven't made a decision one, but they are considering dropping the Friday practice sessions. And the reason why they're thinking about doing this is from a logistical perspective. If they were to try and cram more races into the calendar, you give the teams an extra day for travel, you give them an extra day for setup and all of those various bits and pieces. But yeah, then you run into a problem of one, you don't have in-season testing. The teams don't have that, – that's two on-track sessions at every race that the teams potentially are losing and don't get to go and take in extra revenue by dropping an extra driver in a seat on free practice one. They don't get to test parts, especially on, on that specific track to see how they're going to work. All of these various things around the running, they lose. But also, if you're a race promoter, that's a day less of events at your track on a Grand Prix weekend that you cannot collect revenue off of and you cannot promote and you cannot use as part of the experience. And, you know, we go down to Mid-Ohio and there's practices that happen on Friday. And in between those practices are also some of the qualifying races and some of the lower um, road to Monsters Road to Indy and Indy mm-hmm. Lights are doing – not just practices, but they're doing some qualifying stuff. And there's like early sub races that are happening Fridays and Saturdays. And so it's a whole weekend of, of motorsport. And I don't know how many people. And there's fan engagement events that happen then too. And I don't know how much you would have if you didn't have the main players on the track at some point during the day, also during that day. I don't know how much draw you would have. Not to mention the fact that Friday is a great day to wander around the pits at least in our experience at Mid-Ohio, because the pressure is so less. Yep. And so you can wander around the pits a whole lot easier on Friday because it's just practice. And the crowds are smaller because mm-hmm. it's a Friday and, and, and you get a better chance to interact. Right. The same people are there. You have a better opportunity. So there's no decision that's been made yet. I don't think it's a great idea. I, I get the concern that they've got. But, yeah, something's got to give at some point. One way or the other, they're going to have to figure something out if they want to cram more races in. True. I agree with you. You know who really wishes that the series that they were racing in had more races? Pierre Gasly. Yeah. Well, I think he's more angry at the weather. Yeah. So, is he shaking his fist at clouds? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you probably know by now, Pierre Gasly did not race in Austin um, so that he could finish his challenge for the Super Formula uh, title in Japan. It was supposed to be two races the same weekend uh, as the American Grand Prix, or, or the U.S. Grand Prix. It's not the American Grand Prix. I should get it right. Same weekend as the United States Grand Prix, Fluta Suzuka was replaced by Brandon, Brendan Hartley in the U.S., um, only to have both of those races canceled due to weather. And as a result, lost the championship 
by a point. Ouch. Yeah. Well, and, you know, but it did give his new team, newest teammate, Brendan Hartley, a chance to even out the number of races that they've both driven in. <laughs> so they enter Mexico with the same number of races. Yeah, the same level of experience. Speaking of Brendan Hartley, how he got it, and, and it's not completely clear. I've heard some reports, first of all, that Hartley didn't step in for Carlos Sainz. He was called to step in for Gasly. Daniel Cavia was called in to step in for Sainz for the race. It's mm-hmm. an important thing here. He was called in for the race. But according to Brendan Hartley, the way he got the position to, to race this weekend, he, first off, he, he's a former Red Bull or Toro Rosso driver, did not do very well in, in his first stint. It freely admits that at the time he was not ready to come into Formula One, and it showed. Went off to, to race in several other series. He had been racing up until last year alongside Mark Webber in the Porsche WEC program. He also, in and I don't recall exactly which series, uh, raced quite a bit alongside Karun Chandok on the same team. Yeah. So they are very – a lot of folks in the – form, especially in the broadcaster side because they do a lot of work on WEC as well, know Brendan Hartley very, very well and knew him well coming in, speak very highly of him. They all also freely admit that when he came in the first time, it was it was bad. It was a bad fit. Um, it's cool that he gets this opportunity. But when Porsche announced that they were ending their run in WEC and shutting down the LMP1 program, he picked up the phone and called Helmut Marco and said, hey, just want to let you know, if something should happen, I would love to come back and race with you guys. And love to be take part in the Red Bull program again. And basically, Helmut Marco's response was, appreciate the call, thanks, I'll keep it in mind. Now, this was like a month and a half, two months ago. Okay. So when he made this call, he had no idea what was about to shake out, what was any of that stuff. He just, he did it on a whim and said, hey, give me a call. And, and if you want, I'm now available. And then this happens. Very interesting. Which, the lesson that you don't let go of past contacts. Yeah. Which, in order to prepare for his debut in the few days prior to the U.S. Grand Prix, Toro Rosso handed him a 50-page manual. Oh. Here you go. Live it, learn it, love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what movie that's from? I have no idea. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh. I don't have Fast Times at Ridgemont High memorized. Oh, okay. Yeah. I could start making 16 Candles uh, references, and you wouldn't know what I was talking about. True. I wouldn't. But, yeah, that was the whole – all their, their their start procedures, the, the diagram of the buttons on the steering wheel, all of that stuff to learn in a weekend. Yeah. So he shows up at, at Toro Rosso with – his race helmet. His race helmet. Okay. He's been driving in closed cockpit cars for a while. So his race helmet, while it is FIA certified and approved, was set up for closed cockpit cars. Uh-oh. Which means 
his race helmet wasn't set up to deal with the aerodynamics that come into play when you're a driver in an open cockpit car and your head is in the wind. <laughs> oh. And as a result, he had some problems in free practice one because his head kept trying to twist up and backwards on his head. His head? His head. Not his helmet. His helmet was trying to twist up and backwards on his head. What you said was his head tried to twist up and backwards on his head. Well, it was that because the helmet was pulling. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But so there was a conversation. uh, Will Buxton in particular had a conversation with uh, a representative from Bell Helmets to find out what was going on and why. And Bell had to make some changes to um, the wings and gurney flaps in the padding to make sure it stayed down there. Plus, there was also, I guess, an attachment that was put on the exterior of its helmet because it's part of the aerodynamics of the car now. Oh, my. And you'll notice, if you watch the, the F1 drivers, there are, like, wings and other attachments on their helmets. Yeah. And it's all done because the helmet's part of the aerodynamics of the car. He didn't have a helmet that was designed to be the aerodynamics of the car. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes you think back to the days where a polo helmet and a handlebar mustache was the safety features of Formula One. I mean, those were not aerodynamic, and they're held on with a chin strap. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I guess th- the way they do it in a closed cockpit series, um, the the winglets and gurneys and stuff like that, they tend to. When they're exposed to it, they push back. And I don't know why they push backwards, but that's the way it's done. They made changes to the helmet to make sure all that stuff pushed down instead of backwards. Oh. So his helmet's better now. Okay. It's going to stay on his head and not twist upward and backwards? And try and possibly kill him while he's driving? That would be bad. I was killed by my helmet is not a safety. (laughs) You know, that does ruin Bell Helmet's safety record. So Daniel Kvyat managed to finish... In the top 10 in Austin. Yeah, like 10th place. He did. He got a point, which means for the season, he has managed to get four points. Hey, that is four points more than I have for the season. However, compare that to his former teammate at Toro Rosso, Carlos Sainz Jr., who had 44 points on, or, or over 40 points on the season. Okay. And you can understand one of the many reasons why Carlos Sainz Jr. is now driving for Renault and Daniel Kvyat has been fired. It is official. He has officially been released from the team. They have elected to go in different directions. Now, France Toast has uh, talked a little about what happened. He did concede that... uh, Daniel has endured several technical problems this season, but added he also made mistakes. And, and like we just said, he, he scored just four points. Carlos Sainz, actually, I was wrong. He scored 48. And that's just in the time they were teammates. Oh, wow. That's not even the time. That doesn't include when he was let go so Gasly could come in. Um, Fran Toast said, Toast said that the season for Daniel this year was very unfortunate. There were a lot of technical problems which were not in the hands of Daniel. He couldn't do anything, but he also made some driver errors. In the end, though, he says both parties lost confidence in in each other. 
In such a situation, it's better to say, okay, we stop the cooperation, and this gives Daniel the chance to look for another team and to look for his future. We felt the confidence was not there anymore on the level you need if you are to work together successfully in the future. Um, now, the other thing that was mentioned is that Daniel has been particularly outspoken this season uh, amid you know, his run of results and his lack of clarity on his, on his future. So France was asked whether or not that also had an impact on the decision. He said, of course, but in the end, it's the results which are counting. Both parties expected more, and it didn't happen. Therefore, termination is the best solution for both parties. So, so they have irreconcilable differences. That's some of it. But the other thing is, is you've got to remember the whole point of the, the Toro Rosso program is to feed Red Bull. Right. And when you keep that in mind and you look at what has happened this year, let alone what happened last year, does any did anybody realistically think that Daniel was going to have even the remotest of chances of getting into getting back into the Red Bull. No, and I don't think that I think that he got to keep I got ugh, let me try this in English. I think that he got to stick around so that the bullpen for Red Bull could come up to people qualifying for super licenses. Mm -hmm. He was there warming a seat for someone else. Yeah. And the hope was that he was going to do good enough that another team would want to take him on. He was never going to go back up through the program again. He was, at that point, biding his time. And if he had come back down to Toro Rosso and done well, maybe he would be driving at Renault right now. Yeah. Or something to that effect. But I don't I don't think that even when he was demoted, anybody thought, oh, well, just wait a year and Max Verstappen will burn out and he'll go back up. I don't think that's going to be the case. The, there has been some rumors that at least his management has reached out to both Sauber and Williams about their seats. I... It sounds like Williams is an extremely slim chance. Mm -hmm. um, there might be a slightly better chance over at Sauber, but even that is expected to be fairly unlikely. So this may be the last that we have seen of Daniel Kvyat in Formula 1. Well, there's some other series that he might be fantastic at. There may be. I mean, let's not I, – I, I want to make this very clear – Formula One is hard, and you don't get anywhere on that grid, no matter how much money you have. Even a Pastor Maldonado, with all of the money, you don't get to sit on that grid if you don't have some level of skill. You don't, and Mark Weber likes to, to make a point, and, and I agree with him to some extent, not fully. But he likes to make a point when it comes to situations like this that Formula One is not a finishing school. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't come into Formula One and expect that you're going to stay around when your racecraft still needs work and there's development that still needs work. And I get that to a point. Where I have issues with that is, well, then why does a team like Toro Rosso exist? why do some of these other backmarker teams, why have they hung around as long as they did? I mean, if Formula One's not a finishing school, you look at Daniel Ricciardo's career, mm -hmm. of which Mark Webber is a very good friend of Daniel's. 
Daniel Ricardo started in uh, HRT. Backmarker team was picked up by Toro Rosso, where his racecraft improved, improved that much better that he was then brought into the Red Bull team. So if Formula One is not a finishing school, then that progression shouldn't necessarily happen. Well, I think that people hone their craft in Formula One. I think that you have to be constantly improving. Yeah. That's how people move up the teams. That's how we get, you know, we get somebody that's got raw talent and you craft them and you mold them into something that can do very, very well. I think that that is actually something that does happen in Formula One as it happens throughout all the other series. Yeah. What I think the difference is, is you you cannot make it on the grid of Formula One without having some level of skill skill and excellence in your sport. And, and, and that's... Just to, since you mentioned Pastor, that's one of the things that it's important to point out about somebody like uh, a Pastor Maldonado is he won the GP2 championship at least once. Mm -hmm. He had speed. He didn't have any of the other pieces. Now, Lance Stroll, I'm not sure he's got, I don't think he won a GP2. I think he won a couple of races. But I don't think he won a championship. Obviously, he made it far enough to um, he got to super. qualify for a super license. But one of the things that was not mentioned, and Daddy Stroll has been paying for, is especially last year, and and to a lesser extent, my understanding is it's happened this year, is Lance spent a lot of time on various tracks around the globe in two- and three-year-old Formula One, Williams Formula One cars, learning how to drive them. Yes. Right? Yeah. But that's why I say I hope that Daniel Kvyat does not get disheartened. There are other series out there that he could do very, very well at. He's obviously a very good racing driver is he one of the greats no but very good puts you in a very nice spot if you were to drive wec or if you can translate it to something else or you know there's always indycar honestly where i expect him to end up is probably like dtm or something like that dtm british touring cars one of those european series i don't I would be surprised if we saw Daniel Kvyat move over to the States. But if he comes to IndyCar, you know I'll stock him at Mid-Ohio. Yeah, I'm sure you will. So Kvyat's gone. Gasly is expected to at least finish the season. So what happens with Brandon Hartley? Well, initially coming out of the the U.S. Grand Prix, he said, I have no clue. I don't Mm -hmm. know what's happening. Um, I'm hopeful to stick around, but all I got told was a race. Uh, not long afterwards, the, the organization came out and announced that they are retaining Hartley. Um, and right now, the expectation is that the two of them are going to finish the season. Um, but there's also some thought because right now, even though Red Bull has a driver development system, a driver development program, nobody's quite ready to go. 
The other question was, well, what about Honda? Because Honda probably wants to get a driver in as well. It also sounds like that Honda's best choice also does not currently have eligibility for a super license. Ah. So the thought is next year, this is probably going to be Toro Rosso's lineup. So they've got another set of seat warmers. Um, I don't know. I think Gasly, there's some promise there. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing that's been rolling around is that, yes, Max signed a three-year contract. Daniel Ricciardo hasn't. Yeah. And Daniel Ricciardo, just like Max has been unhappy regarding um, the the engines, so is Daniel. So, and, and both are under contract at least through 2018. That could be interesting. It could be. You know, we're, we're still hoping for the blockbuster – silly season that we haven't gotten yet the end of 2018 is another one of those just about everybody on the grids up for contract renewal with the exception of max verstappen (laughs) so we'll see what happens didn't lewis just sign one for 2020 he has not yet oh i thought he did they are not willing to talk about his contract until the after the end of the season that is mercedes position as they do not want to discuss it yet now, I know that you are a keen follower of the driver's numbers. I am? I was just saying. Oh, I certainly am. I know, like, two of them. Well, Brendan Hartley in Austin ran with number 39. Okay. Because it turns out that the teams have reserve numbers. Mm. So he was running a reserve number. Well, now that he is... A part of the team, at a least real name. A real, for a while. Real person. He got to choose his own number. He's going to be running number 28. Number 28 was last run by Will Stevens. Oh. Who's gone. That was back in 2015. Uh, but Hartley has, has used this number before. His, he last used number 28 in Formula Renault 3.5. So look for a different number. Okay. We already talked about Daniel getting sent away. Also remaining for 2018, Fernando Alonso. He finally made a decision. Staying with McLaren for 2018 uh, when they become McLaren-Renault. Now, also confirmed as part of this deal, he will, at least as of right now, we should say that, he is not expected to run in the Indianapolis 500 in 2018. What he is doing, and and first it came out as a rumor that he may be testing uh, a WEC car. Um, He will be running in the 24 Hours of Daytona next year. Really? A couple of key pieces about this. Um, The first is that there is no schedule conflict because the 24 Hours of Daytona happens before winter testing. It'll be an LMP2 uh, prototype car, not LMP1, uh, as part of Zach Brown's team because Zach Brown owns uh, a WEC team. Okay. Uh, He'll be driving alongside, and and I don't know who the third driver is off the top of my head, uh, but the other driver that he will be alongside is Lando Norris, who is the other McLaren prodigy next to Stoffel Van Dorn. Oh. Yeah. So Lando is expected to move into a Formula One seat at some point. 
interesting. But this is also considered to be a precursor and warm-up to a potential run in the future to Le Mans. Mans. Did you happen to hear, and I know I'm jumping ahead to qualifying for Mexico, did you happen to see Fernando Logic on qualifying? I did not. So Fernando believes that this weekend, this Mexican Grand Prix, that the McLaren Honda was the best car on the track. You know, I, I saw the headline, and, and I didn't think too much of it because there was a lot of talk over, and, and we might as well mention it now, um, the, the statistic, and I've heard some varying numbers as to how it works over in Mexico. But Mexico, naturally, you look at it and you think this is a high-speed track. It's got a lot of these long straights. It's got a lot of these long, high-speed corners, very Monza-like in that respect. And, and a lot of thought there that, you know, Mercedes destroyed everybody. Power tracks are good places for them. However, because of the altitude, they're generating less downforce because the air pressure is so much lower. So as a result, the teams are actually running, when it comes to their aero kits, they're running their Singapore and Monaco spec kits that generate the most downforce possible. And even doing that, generating the most, and, and the number I've seen, it, I, I've heard quoted is anywhere between, uh, with these aero kits, these high downforce aero kits, they're only generating between 80 to 90% of the downforce they get in Monza with low downforce kits. Right. So that throws a lot of question as to how Mercedes in particular is going to do because Mercedes doesn't do well in a high downforce configuration. It's why they struggled in Monaco. It's why they struggled in Singapore. So what's going to happen? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll find out this afternoon. But during qualifying, um, Alonso actually did fairly well in qual mm -hmm. qualifying. He was 1.9 seconds off of Lewis in Q1. And that is why he claims that he had the best car out on the grid. And a lot of folks have said that this is a weekend that, in theory, uh, assuming the engines don't blow up, McLaren can potentially do fairly well because they're known for having a setup that produces a very good amount of downforce, and the, the chassis itself handles very well in those conditions. Mm -hmm. So the expectation is that it could be a promising weekend, even though they're taking a bajillion and a half penalties on both cars. Oh, yeah. It's 15 grid penalty on Alonso alone. Yeah. But... He made the decision to stick around okay. because of the promise of the Renault engine. And Renault came out and said this week that reliability has been a big focus for them, especially for 2018. Reli reliability and, and a little less on, on performance has been a big deal, and they are actually months ahead with their work on reliability. Oh, okay. And then the Toro Rosso's blew up. <laughs> both of them now admittedly they're not running 2018 spec engines right but reliability has been a challenge for Renault all season long just like it has been for honda oh yeah so yeah we're, we'll, we'll see what happens there it should be very interesting C could you imagine what happens if they sort out the reliability issues and not the performance issues. So instead, you hand Fernando a car that won't blow up, 
but can't break the top 10. I know. He's still going to be angry, Fernando. Yeah. Hey, speaking of stuff that happened in Mexico, in Free Practice 3, Seb had it was, Seb had a bunch of issues in practice. Apparently, the the and I think it was in Free Practice 2, um, the fire extinguisher detonated on his car um, due to a loose screw. Uh-oh. Yeah. In Free Practice 3, he came in to get the car service and went to the Red Bull pit box. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> it's been a few years, so I don't know why that happened. But, he, yeah, he apparently ran to the wrong pit box. Well, you know, Lewis did that, but he did it on his first race after being with McLaren for, like, 13 years. Second, but, yeah, because he, he did it in Malaysia, and they had already had Australia. But, okay. yeah, he, he's, he did it. A few other drivers have done it, so he— yeah, goof that one up. Good job. But yet still was able to steal P1 from Max Verstappen. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about Max in a sec because we're going to jump back to Austin again. Okay. Like we said, you're, we're jumping all over the place on this one. Well, our listeners have got their seatbelts on. Yep. Williams almost got themselves in a bit of trouble Uh-oh. in Austin. Um, the, there's a requirement after every session that you have to turn in your tires. Mm -hmm. And you have a certain amount of time that you have to turn your tires in. Williams was late. Uh Uh-oh. And and it was coming out of free practice one. uh, They almost got hit with a 10,000 euro fine for turning in the tires late. Okay. By three seconds. That's a steep fine for three seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, they were supposed to turn them in at 10.40 a.m. local time. They turned them in in 10.40.03, which meant that they were not in compliance of Article 24.4G, subparagraph 2 of the 2017 Formula 1 sporting regulations. Um, they, the, the stewards recognized that you know three seconds is probably a little unfair, uh, so they suspended the fine. Okay. So what that means is that if they break this rule again, the suspended part goes away, and they've got to pay the money. The thing to note is that this isn't the first time that they've done this. Um, they did it at the Belgian, the Belgian Grand Prix this year and did have to pay 10,000 euros. And the year before that, they were late after the Malaysian Grand Prix and had to pay it. Now, I don't think it was three seconds in those two times, but this isn't the first time that they have gotten in trouble for turning in tires late. We need to get the tire turner in guy uh, a watch. Yeah. So, Max, back to Austin again. Max was really upset coming out of Austin. Well, Um, wouldn't you be? Yeah. Um, he has screamed at the stewards for accusing them of killing the sport. Um, he has called them idiots, for which he has kind of sort of almost nearly apologized for. He 19-year-old teenage apologized. Yeah. So the incident occurred last lap, turn 19. Um, he cut a corner trying to get around Kimi Raikkonen to take third place. Uh, the stewards declared that he left the... Um, left the track and gained a quote a last and that's the important piece gained a lasting advantage and thereby was assessed a five second penalty that put him behind Kimi Raikkonen but 
at his point, Max's point is people had been exceeding track limits all weekend long and nobody got a penalty. And so Corinne well, Chandar did an inc- Chandok. Chandok did an incredible analysis of the rule, which he highlights that the, the big deal is the lasting advantage. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting about his analysis was that, yes, in these other passes that happened or these other incidents where people left the track that did not get penalized, there was no advantage and that they overtook somebody. But what he said was when they do that, they shorten the track and they save tires. And that is a lasting advantage. It is. And, and you, you jumped into that before we had a chance to hear from Max himself. Oh, I'm sorry. So I was trying to stop here. We've got Max talking to Jenny Gal post-race. Okay. Um, now, he, he at this point, he's still upset, but he's calmed down to the point that he's not calling them idiots. So let's hear from Max himself. Um, it's very weird because the whole weekend we could run off track and there were no track limits. Even my fight with, with Bottas, you know, he, he went off the track while I was already in front. And he came back in front of me and I had to overtake him again. There was no penalty given. You know, I'm fine with that. Okay, you know, we, we overtake him again. Um, but then I'm, I'm fighting with Kimi and I do get a penalty, so it's, it's very weird. I mean, it's also, you know, for the sport, the, the fans, I, I guess they also don't understand because they were loving it, and then, you know, they ruined the sport like that. So, you know, they should keep going like this because then for sure within two years' time, the fans are walking away here. Yeah, that's how it is. This is a consistency issue then that you feel isn't there? Yeah, that's definitely one thing what is lacking, and I guess also just the understanding of racing. But well, they do understand how to kill the sport. That's a compliment for them. So, yeah, obviously he was still a bit upset at this point. <laughs> but now back to your point and Karun Chandok and pointing out that you're saving the tires to some extent by doing this. Mm-hmm. You're not turning as hard. You're not, yeah, you're not putting as much pressure on the tires. You're shortening the track. Mm-hmm. So every time somebody exceeds track limits. Now, I will say that, you know, you talk to, you, you listen to uh, David Cothard and, you know, track limits are track limits. And there are rules there for a reason. And I think people are abusing them. Mm-hmm. I think that people are abusing them with these new tracks that have these huge tarmac runoff areas, which are great for safety. Yeah. And great for getting people back on the track. If they do go wrong, I mean, if you have a gravel pit on at the crap at the uh, track limits, those cars that once they go off, they are never coming back on that track during that race. It's just not possible. Um, well, it's it's unlikely, and we we've seen it happen a few times. Um, we've even seen some that have made it all the way through the gravel trap onto the safety road alongside of it, and that's where they've been able to recover. Um, but the the bigger issue I have, and and, and in a way it does tie into what Karun said, is that you have exceeded the track limits, period, the end. And by exceeding the track limits, you gain an advantage, Mm -hmm. which means every driver who has done it gained an advantage, and they didn't penalize any of them with the exception of Max. And even when he was having the fight with Botas, Botas running off the track, he runs off the track, there were no penalties assessed except at that point. Wow. Now, there's two things. Karun mentioned that he has a simple solution for the problem, which I liked his solution. It, it, yeah. Which was a five-meter grass runoff between the track limit and as much tarmac as you want to put, and that that would negate the advantage for people running off. 
I think there's a potential. Um, where my concern would be is what happens when, um, especially if it's muddy or something like that, and that starts to get ripped up. His thought, is, because, and this is what a lot of the folks who've got experience with, and a lot of the fans are saying, is there needs to be some sort of natural performance penalty mm-hmm. for exceeding track limits. In the past, it was the wall, it was the tree, it was the armco. It w- there was something there, and they realized that you know that's really not the safest way to do it. Um, so that's why they went to gravel traps and sand. But there's other safety concerns around gravel and sand, not the least of which is if a car goes into it broadside, because of the the way the forces are expended when you hit the gravel, if you hit it broadside, you're probably going to roll the car. And they don't want to do that either. And we've seen going some spectacular st- rolls. When yeah, Fernando did that himself. So that's why gravel is, is on its way out, and they're paving over the, these runoff areas. But there's got to be a better option. So if you and, and he specifically called out because they've used astroturf in some areas. He's called out natural grass. And again, my question becomes: If it gets muddy and that gets torn up, do you run a similar risk? of rolling a car as you would in gravel at that point. And I don't know. It, it, it may not be an issue. But, yeah, th- there needs to be a way to assess a natural penalty. Either that or you do what they've tested in the past. And we know what Jonathan Palmer has at several of his his circuits of you put in a sensor system so that you know every time a car goes all four over those lines and you automatically assess a penalty every single time time it happens yep that's the that's the thing is the drivers are going to push the limits and if they're not being penalized for it either Mm -hmm. naturally or otherwise they are going to continue to push the limits and push it to the point that they're driving on their own track the track that they design yeah um now there's one other piece of this that i want to call out and max talks about in, in some other parts of the interviews that I've heard him, he talks about that it's one particular steward. Mm-hmm. That he, I deliberately cut that out. So anyway, I'm going after it. Okay. There was an article that came out this morning that in the aftermath of Austin, Bernie was interviewed. Bernie, our Bernie, was interviewed, and he admitted that he and Max Mosley in the past had influenced the stewards to favor a Ferrari win um, in just these types of situations, um, which makes me angry for uh, for the sport, angry at Bernie, angry in so very many ways. Yeah. But Bernie's quote was, it is so much better to win against a little red car than it is to win against a Sauber. And, and to that, I say yes and no. Um, yes. Anytime somebody can beat the red cars, it's awesome stuffing a race so that you know make it that much harder to beat the red cars not cool let's do remember that ferrari has not won a world championship since 2008 when lewis hamilton won his first championship by a single point by beating um felipe massa in brazil and in a lot of ways um we have a slightly similar situation setting up this weekend because in order to win the world championship back then now now 
granted, it was the last race of the season, so this was do or die, but Lewis and his McLaren had to finish fifth or better. Mm-hmm. This weekend, regardless of what Sebastian Vettel does, if Lewis uh, finishes a fifth or better, he wins the championship. If he doesn't, though, we still go on. We got a, two more races after this. Right. Um, but the the thing of note that a lot of folks have mentioned of, of where that almost went completely south uh, the first year that Lewis won his championship is that knowing that Lewis only had to end up fifth or better, that was their target for the race. They did not target a win. They targeted fifth. That was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> now, it worked out to the best. I mean, he was running in sixth. He passed Timo Glock for the fifth in, like, the final corner. It was an exciting race. And we've played that audio before. I'm not going to play it this week, but we've played that audio before uh, when we said farewell to uh, Felipe last year. I'll probably play it again this year as we once again try and say bye to Felipe um, because it is an incredible moment to hear. It is. Team bosses have come out and expressed their displeasure at the way this went down with Max. Mm-hmm. Not that they're upset with Max, but that they view this, like many of the fans, that this was a hard racing situation. And given the fact that they hadn't been penalizing at any other point in the series, to do it now in one of the most exciting points of the series, one of the most exciting passes of the race, was wrong. I agree. It was wrong. In other Red Bull news, so part of the reason why Max did so well is that he got an engine upgrade. Oh, he did? Only he got an engine upgrade. Uh Uh-oh. Daniel did not. Daniel was completely unaware of this, and and that was, you know, without the engine blowing up. Um, So Daniel was asked at one of the, the... press conferences um if he felt like he was at a a disadvantage because he was running the older engine and uh, daniel's response was we had different engine specs i had no idea seriously i didn't know who was faster (laughs) 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 so when he was told that verstappen who actually qualified behind him um because max was in sixth place before the penalties were applied that pushed him all the way back. Um, yeah, he didn't know anything about this. Um, he said he he believed that he's going to have to take another penalty uh, for an engine change because they've used up all their engines already. Um, he believes he'll have to take a grid penalty in the next three races. Uh, he says he'd like to say he won't, but it's probably more likely than not at this stage. Um, now, when pushed on if he felt any disappointment about having different specification of engine to Max, Daniel joked, oh, so that is why Max signed his contract. I literally had no idea. Maybe they told me and I chose not to listen, but if that is the case, I'll just charge my way through. <laughs> Honey Badger, don't don't give up. Does yeah. He? So in light of all of the issues with track limits, the FIA has tightened the rules for Mexico. Now, we don't know if this is specifically around Austin or if this is specifically around the similar debacle that happened last year in Mexico City. <laughs> okay. But what they've done is they've installed speed bumps, 50-millimeter high speed bumps, uh, on the left-hand curb between turns one and two, 
uh, with the second series of them situated between turn twos and three, turn two and three. Um, Charlie Whiting sent a note to the teams ahead of the race um, and made it clear to the drivers that they must now go around the second series of speed bumps before they rejoin the track, which in theory should cost them time. Yes. In theory. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, also over at turn 8, he said, for safety reasons, any driver whose car passes completely behind the curb on the apex of turn 8 must rejoin the track by keeping wholly to the right of the orange curb parallel to the track on the exit of the corner. For safety reasons, any driver whose car passes be completely behind the curb on the apex of turn 11 must rejoin the track by keeping wholly to the left of the orange curb parallel to the track on the exit of the corner. Will you remember so, all of that? Yes, I, ha I have it written down. No, will you remember it when we are watching the race and be able to call it out? Um, assuming I can see the little signs that uh, Formula One Group was so nice to put up, I believe it was Monza or Spa, at every turn letting us know what number they are. That's a new addition. Have you seen that? <laughs> yes. This is a really great idea. Um, Force India. By the way, I don't know if you have heard... Esteban Ocon said that since their incidents in Russia, he has been on a fairly regular basis getting death threats sent to him over social media. Really? Yeah. So there, he said he had a lot of concern coming to Mexico as a result of that. Um, he's been really happy that um, he's actually been received very warmly, but he's still getting death threats over that. Oh, my word. Fans, not cool. Not cool at all. Knock that crap off. Yeah. Um. He's none a, of our listeners would do that. Yeah, none of our listeners would do that. He does not like the speed bumps. He thinks that they're compromising safety. He doesn't like it. Um, but in bigger Force India news, they have said that after this weekend's race, they are set to lift the ban on the drivers racing each other. Because at that point, they believe that they have firmly solidified themselves in fourth. So if the drivers take themselves out, they'll still be okay. Okay. So if you're wondering when that's going to happen, that's expected to be... Uh, after this weekend's race. Jensen Button has uh, been in the news. His biography is apparently out. I don't know if it's out in the States yet, but his biography is out. Christmas. Um, okay. Uh, McLaren says that they are open to keeping Jensen around in an F1 role, um, even though he is not – there is no seat for him. There is clearly no seat for him now that and Fernando's been he doesn't want to drive. He, he, is, he has said that he does not want to come back to Formula One. Um, he actually said that this year he has realized, um, and going to Monaco just solidified it, that he stayed in Formula One a year too long. Um, but going and running in the series that he ran in, it, he wasn't in Super Formula. It was something else. Um, it really reminded him how much he loves racing and rekindled his love of racing if not formula one so he wants to run in another series again he actually wants to run in japan so we're not going to see him in um any of the series in the u.s next year because there was talk of i think rallycross mm -hmm. was the one he was interested in um he also said that he does not as much as he has enjoyed his uh media stints this year he does not want to be a commentator. No. That is disappointing to me. Uh, so that, that's, that's a bit disappointing. But McLaren says they do want to keep him around in an ambassadorial role. 
So we should see him at least on a weekend or two, is the hope. Probably the Japanese Grand Prix. Yeah, but we won't see him driving again, which is a little disappointing. Okay. And as you mentioned, Bernie has come out of his hole. A <laughs> um, couple of things that are, are happening here. Uh, for starters, after living in London for close to 80 years, he's leaving the city. He's much leaving the country. Um, the building that he has owned, uh, that he ran Formula One management through, he's putting up for sale. He also owned a penthouse. He lived above, as he put it, above the shop. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a penthouse in that building. The whole building is going up for sale. He's letting most of the remaining staff go. Uh, he's keeping a handful of assistants around. That's about it. Uh, but he is going to be moving to uh, Switzerland, where in Gestad, Switzerland, where he owns a hotel, putting more emphasis into uh, the renovation work that they're doing on the hotel. Uh, but the office block that he owned, he's owned since 1985. It's located on Hyde Park, and he bought it from Saudi arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi. Okay. Yeah. Um, he owns the Hotel Olden. Ingestad, which he has been working to renovate. Um, he says that and the coffee farm that he owns in Brazil outside of Sao Paulo, that's really what's been occupying his time. But what he says is the way he was told he was no longer welcome is that Chase Carey sent a message to one of the girls in the office to tell me they haven't got so many offices at the circuits, only what the race promoter gave them. There's only three offices, and there's three of the folks at the top of Formula One, so they get the offices. He said, so basically, they don't want me to come to the races. It would have been just as easy to have said that to me. Anyway, I have obliged them. There's no sour grapes there whatsoever. No. Now, isn't the coffee farm in Brazil actually his mother-in-law's? I don't know. Um, I thought that was like the... Her it, family. His it it wife's may family. be that that the that's where his wife's family is living is on the farm, but it, it sounds like he owns the farm. Ah. So the next time you drink Colombian coffee, it may be Bernie coffee. No. You just don't. Colombian coffee would come from the country of Colombia, not from the country of Brazil. Thank you. That was really stupid that I said that. <laughs> um, I freely I think... acknowledge that 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 was wrong. Wow. <laughs> That was really stupid. Um, there's been a few little um, misanthropes that you've said this this uh, episode. I would strongly suggest that people go back and comment on them. No, I think that one was the worst right there. That one may be the worst. And Although on, Brendan Hartley's head being lifted ba- up and back turned backwards was well, quite was, amusing also. Well, it was as his head was going. I mean, that, that made sense. But You, you mean know, as his helmet was going. And on that bit of stupidity, we'll call it a show before it gets much worse. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. 
I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.